Today we're going to see some lessons from the Antioch church. And may I just quickly remind us that last sermon we saw that the Christian flag, as it were, was planted for the first time in Gentile country. And we saw back then that not all the Jewish apostles and the Jewish believers in Jerusalem cheered on the development of the Christian flag being planted in far-off Gentile country. If you go with me to Acts chapter 11, I want to jump in at verse 17, which is a verse we've already covered. But in Peter's report of what was going on in Antioch in verse 17, Peter gave God the credit for the Gentile salvation decisions which were happening. Verse 17, Acts 11. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? But it wasn't just that the Apostle Peter's report about the salvation decisions in Gentile country gave God the glory. According to the next verse, verse 18 of Acts 11, the complaining Jewish converts eventually quieted down in order to glorify God and to accept that God had granted the Gentile converts repentance that led to salvation. Verse 18, when they, the Jewish converts who were complaining about Gentile converts, when they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. As I mentioned last sermon, this admission that God was moving in Gentile country saving Gentiles who would believe on Christ, it was only a temporary truce with what these Jewish apostles and converts in Jerusalem thought. Verse 18 was just a temporary truce. When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted the Gentiles repentance to life. That was just... Uh, temporary truce in the battle because the battle keeps cropping up in the rest of the New Testament. Much of the book of Galatians talks about the battle reemerging. Colossians 3.3 talks about the battle reemerging. But I want to just focus in on two passages in Galatians to give you a sense of what this battle was about. In Galatians 2.16, it says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh is justified. Galatians 3, 24 to 26 say, therefore, the law, that's the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments and many other laws, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. 
For you are all sons of God, watch, through faith in Christ Jesus. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, whether you're Jewish or Gentile. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That was the delineation of the battle lines. And right here in verse 18, all we have is a for now truth. (laughs) This whole thing blew out of proportion. You might say in Acts chapter 15, when they had to convene a whole early church council to sort out how were you justified, by grace and faith in Christ or by the Jewish law? What is the role of the law? The council in Acts 15 had to determine what is the, the purpose of Jewish law? It's a tutor to lead us to Christ. It's not an end in and of itself. Well, that's for a future sermon on Acts chapter 15. But I want you to think back in the true account of the first 60 years of the church. That's what the book of Acts is. I want you to think back that before Paul, Saul, was saved. I want you to think back when the baby church was located in Jerusalem only. I want you to think back at the time when Stephen was stoned to death and Saul held the garments of those who stoned Stephen to death because he was in agreement as a church persecutor before his conversion. I want you to think back to when Stephen was stoned to death and certain persecuted Jewish converts to Christ left Jerusalem. They were being persecuted in Jerusalem, so they left Jerusalem in accordance to the plan and purpose of God. Verse 19, still in Acts 11. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Notice that. For the most part, in those early fledging days of the baby church, Jewish converts to Christ thought that the church was only for Jews. And so they only shared the gospel with Jewish countrymen of theirs. But eventually, some of those early Jewish converts got way off to the far city from Jerusalem called Antioch. And there in Antioch, they preached the gospel to Gentiles, verse 20. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. Hellenists is an unfortunate translation of the Greek. The better translation of the Greek is Greeks. (laughs) They were Greeks. They were Gentiles who were getting preached to in Antioch. Let me tell you something about ancient Antioch. You ready? Antioch was north of Jerusalem, north of Judea, and north of Samaria. It was up in Syria, at the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. Antioch was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was part of what Acts 1.8 called the end of the earth. Remember, 
Jesus, before ascending to the Father's right hand in Acts 1.8, said to his followers, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Antioch was on the cusp, the front end, of what they would have considered the end of the earth. It's in the southeast part of modern-day, current-day Turkey. Antioch was a large city. It was a population of about 500,000 souls in ancient Antioch. And it was an important city. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire behind Rome and Alexandria. It was a pagan city. It was a prosperous city. It was a busy commercial city. And eventually it came to be the number one city for Christianity, surpassing Jerusalem. And this Antioch came to be the eventual center of the early missionary endeavors to reach the globe for Christ. So that brings me to the first of three timeless lessons that I would like us to see from the ancient city of Antioch's church. The first lesson of the church in Antioch for us, the end of the earth can be reached. The end of the earth can be reached. Back in the time of the New Testament, 300 miles was a mighty long distance. And for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ to get 300 miles out north from Jerusalem to Antioch was a God-sized accomplishment. The city of Antioch, located on the front edge of the end of the earth, when they were embracing Christ and when they were then organizing churches around Christ, it was due to at least four things, I would submit. At least four things. Number one, the Holy Spirit's power to witness Christ. Number two, obedient gospel speakers or preachers. Number three, prayer. And number four, God being faithful to bring his plan to pass. Remember the plan? Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We've seen so far in the book of Acts, God's faithfulness to that plan. He started the church in Jerusalem with a splash point, and out it went to Judea, the church of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And from there, out it went to Samaria, the gospel and the church. And now in Acts 11, we're seeing that also made it to the end of the earth, just like God intended. And so back when the church was a baby, church expansion to 300 miles outside of Jerusalem probably seemed to them before it was accomplished like Mount Everest. I mean, a steep and a grueling and a dangerous climb. Because remember that the Jews... <laughs> weren't always thrilled about Christ or about his followers. And remember that the Roman Empire killed Christ and they did not at all look favorably on rivals to Caesar. Now today, the end of the earth is not so much geography. The end of the earth is people groups. People groups. According to the Joshua Project, there are approximately 24,000 people groups on earth. What is a people group? The Lausanne Christian Congress of 1982 defined a people group in this way. Listen, 
for evangelization purposes, a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance, end of quote. Did you hear it? A people group of which there are 24,000 people groups on earth today. A people group for evangelization purposes is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. There is some debate about how many people groups are on earth today, but approximately 24,000 people groups on earth as per the late Ralph Winters of the U.S. Center for World Mission. Currently, of those 24,000 people groups, 16,000 people groups are already reached with the gospel of Christ and have churches. Praise God. That leaves 8,000 people groups who are yet to be reached with the gospel and are yet to have a church. And so the good news, Calvary Bible, the good news is that the gospel is already, as I speak, reaching the end of the earth. 67% of the people groups on earth have heard the good news of the gospel and the church has begun in some measure among 67% of the people groups that are on earth. That's good. Our heart's desire, though, our heart's desire, our prayer, and our deployment of money and missionaries should endeavor to reach the remaining 8,000 people groups with the gospel of Christ and with church planting endeavor. The hymn... We sing at many missions conferences. The lyrics reverberate in my head as I just teach you what I taught you. There's a call comes ringing over the restless waves. Send the light, send the light. There are souls to rescue, there are souls to save. Send the light, send the light. Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. Let the light of the blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore. Let it shine from shore to shore to 8,000 identifiable people groups yet to be reached for Christ. Send the light. And so the first lesson which we should learn from the ancient church in Antioch is that the end of the earth can be reached. The second lesson we learn from the church in ancient Antioch is that local expressions of the church should know and bless each other. Local expressions of the church should know and bless other local expressions of the church. The writer of the book of Acts wants us to know that the large number of converts in Antioch was due to the hand of the Lord blessing the gospel which was being preached there. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Even though Antioch was 300 long miles away from Jerusalem, the church leaders in the Jerusalem church heard about what God was doing to save a bunch of Gentiles in the city of Antioch. And those concerned and interested Jewish Jerusalem church leaders decided to send one of their best believers named Barnabas up to Antioch to observe 
what was reported to have been happening. Verse 22. Then the news of things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. You know, the churches in Nassau that are of the same doctrinal persuasion as us ought to know about each other. We ought to care about each other. We ought to help and support each other. Just for an example, this is not an exhaustive list, Calvary Bible Church and East Street Gospel Chapel and Abundant Life Bible Church and Kingdom Life Church and Grace Community Church, etc., should not minister as though we are in silos. Totally independent of each other. And like the church in Jerusalem knew and cared about the church in Antioch, Calvary Bible Church should know and care about other churches in our city which share our doctrine, our gospel, and our mission for making disciples. In the seven and a half years that I've been privileged to be your pastor, I'm part of a prayer group of other pastors, many of whom are listed in the churches I just mentioned. There are ones beyond that as well. And we get together on the first Wednesday of the month and we just share our lives with each other over lunch. We talk about things we're comfortable to talk about that are difficult. We talk about things that are more pleasant. But we know each other. And I would submit that because we've gotten to know and love each other as pastors of Nassau churches that I could phone any one of those brothers at three o'clock in the morning and they would pick up the phone and they would come to help me. And I hope they know I would do the same for them. I'm so happy to announce that just last week our deacon board has approved a financial gift to Pastor Chris Berner's church, the New Vision Ministries of Marsh Harbor, Abaco, to continue to help in the Abaco-Dorian recovery efforts. This is right. (laughs) This is proper. This is Christ-honoring. This is good. And so what have we seen so far? We've seen two lessons from the ancient church in Antioch. Number one, the end of the earth can be reached. And number two, local expressions of the church should know and bless each other. The third and last lesson from the church in Antioch is this. The best encouragement comes from the best believers. The best encouragement comes from the best believers. Verses 23 and 24. When they came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. This is Barnabas. When he came to Antioch and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with that purpose of heart. They should continue with the Lord. 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord, I'll add, in Antioch. Wisely, the church in Jerusalem sent one of their best when they sent Barnabas up to Antioch, 300 miles. They gave the church in Antioch one of their best. How was he the best? Why would I say he was one of the best? How would you know if you're one of the best of Calvary Bible Church's congregation? Well, let me show you in the text. Verse 
What made Barnabas one of the best believers of the church of Jerusalem is five things in the text. Number one, he was glad about the grace of God. Are you? (laughs) You're going to say, Pastor, you think I'm going to say I'm not glad about the grace of God? But are you really glad about the grace of God in every life you see the grace of God being operative? The prostitute? The criminal? The gang member? Are we glad about the grace of God? Barnabas was. Second, he pointed Christians to the purpose of their hearts. Barnabas, when he went to encourage the church at Antioch, he went straight for their hearts. Not the periphery, not the fluff, the heart. Verse 24. Verse 23, and he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. He went for their hearts. Barnabas went for their hearts and he encouraged them that it was an undivided heart, a yielded to Christ heart, a focused on the will of God heart, a willing to sacrifice heart was key to persevering in Christ's work in Gentile country of Antioch. How's your heart? Not in this hour on Sunday mornings when we're enjoying corporate worship and the preached word, but how's your heart Saturdays, Tuesdays? How's your heart? Focused and undistracted on the Lord Jesus and his will. Barnabas went right for the heart. He said, if you have the right purpose of heart, you'll continue with the Lord. Number three, the text says he was good. The better translation of the Greek is he was upright. Barnabas was an upright man. And upright persons are positioned well to encourage others. Not perfect persons. Not persons who have it all together. But upright persons, persons seeking to honor God. Is that you? An upright person, maybe with flaws and shortcomings, an upright person is tasting and seeing for themselves that God is good. And so they're able to encourage others who are not so sure that God is good. They can encourage others out of their uprightness, out of their orientation to honor God, out of their desire to see much made of Christ. Why was he one of the best to send to encourage? Because he was glad about the grace of God. He pointed Christians to the purpose of their hearts. He was good or upright. And fourth, he was full of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this before. Being full of the Holy Spirit is not getting more of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit getting more of us to control. I've used the analogy that getting... um, Being full of the Holy Spirit is not getting gasoline in your car. Being full of the Holy Spirit is getting a new driver behind the wheel. And Barnabas was full of, controlled by the Holy Spirit. And last, at least in the text, 
he was able to encourage and was one of the best believers to send because he was full of faith. (laughs) You know, faith and fear don't live together. If you have fear, you don't have faith. If you have faith, you don't have fear. It's one or the other. It's like a light switch, on, off. If I have faith that Christ is enough for my situation, then I don't have fear. If I have fear that Christ isn't enough for my situation, then I have fear. He was full of faith. (laughs) Nobody can tell you, are you full of fear or faith? You know best because you rest your head on the pillow at night and even your spouse doesn't know exactly what's going on in your head. But if you want to be an encourager to somebody else, then you be in the switch position of faith so that you're not in the switch position of fear. So, if I did a show of hands, how many of us want to be effective encouragers of other Christians? All our hands would go up, I believe. You want to be an effective encourager of the brothers and sisters in Christ in this church and other churches like I've named in the city? You want to encourage people practically, consistently, then be glad about God's grace. Point to the purpose of heart. Live upright before the God and others. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. By the way, if I am walking along with, I enjoy hot tea in the morning. If I am walking along with a cup of hot tea that's too full, it's right to the brim, and I've got a saucer under it, and I'm walking along. If my shoulder catches the wall, the only thing that's going to spill out of that cup is tea. Coca-Cola is not going to spill out of that cup when I get jostled. When we get jostled in life, all that's going to come out when we spill is what's in us already. The Holy Spirit or the flesh. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Keep the way clear. Leave nothing between. And the great thing is, when we live this way, when we live encouraging others, being glad about grace, pointing to a purpose of heart in others, living upright with people, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, being controlled by faith, It's a good testimony that's the result. Listen to a commentator I'd never heard of before this week. His name is Glog. Glog. Glog wrote this of Barnabas as he visited the church in Antioch. Listen. His benevolence effectively prevented him from censuring, that's severely disapproving, anything that might be new or strange in these preachers to the Gentiles and caused him to rejoice in their successes. That's the kind of person I want to be. When Abundant Life Bible Church baptizes 30, I want to be happy about it. I want to be thrilled about it. No new competition. We're on the same team. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the ancient church of Antioch that teaches us so much about who you are and how you can do a work in our lives. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be motivated knowing that the end of the earth is within grasp, 
that we would be desirous of knowing other churches and other believers from other communities, faith communities in our city that we could encourage and celebrate together. And then, Lord, we also pray that we would be excellent encouragers because the character of our Christian walk is real, holds up to scrutiny, that you'd be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.